Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back here. Last week, I couldn't be here because several months ago, uh, one of the churches that financially supports us and prays for us in Syracuse asked me to come and invited me to go and share an update about our church and preach, so I was there. Miss you all. So good to be back here um, and worshiping together again. I'd love to, before we go into the scripture for today, I'd love to just collect our hearts again and pray. Um, it's one of those things today, as you know, if you could see on the bulletin, that the, the topic for today or the title today is about prayer for others. And it's one of those things that we really need the Lord to do a work in our hearts in order for this to truly be applied to us today. So could you just join me in prayer right now? Dear Father, we unite our voices and our hearts right now, Lord. You hear the whispers of our hearts, Lord. We ask that you would do a work in us. Lord, New Hope Church belongs to you. You gave birth to this community. Lord, we have stepped into, discovered, been surprised by what you've willed through a pandemic, through all the twists and turns of our church, through all the stages and seasons. And with open hands, we come before you now. We ask that you would continue to do that shaping work in us, even to this day, that you would speak to us a word that actually gives us life, that actually impacts our hearts and leaves us changed. Would you make that prayer your own and would you ask God to speak to you? Amen. One of my fondest memories as a child is, was when my Amici would visit us from India. I didn't sneeze. Amici is how you say grandma in Malayalam, my native tongue. So she would come and visit us in Oklahoma City every year and stay with us for a few months at a time. We had a three-bedroom house at the time, and uh, so it was my parents, and I have one other sibling. I have an older sister, my sister and I, so the four of us in this three-bedroom home, and that meant whenever she visited, I'd have to give up my room, and I'd sleep on the couch for like six months. <laughs> I'd sleep on the couch, and I look back on it, and what a privilege it was. Um, so occasionally I would have to access my room still, and oftentimes it was in the morning before school or for I was, if I was awake in the middle of the night, if I couldn't sleep, I'd, I'd go near the room and I would hear. I would assume she was sleeping, but she wasn't. Every morning, without fail, 5 a.m., she was awake and she was praying, like muttering something in Malayalam. Like I didn't know what she was saying, but she was praying. And I think she prayed for every person she's ever met in life. For an hour, uninterrupted, right? Like, just not dozing off, she would just faithfully, diligently pray. And I remember thinking, how does she pray for so many people? And some of you, if you're like me, would be like, I don't even pray for myself that much. Like, let alone praying for others. Like, how does she do it? But today we're going to continue our series called The Way That We Pray. And this, the goal of this series, this series is not to simply get better at the act of praying. Like, why do we want to pray? Why do we want to be a praying people? It's because that's how we experience the goodness, love, and power of God in our community. We want to grow in prayer so that we can grow in our experience and wonder for the Lord as he answers us in the day of trouble. As we call on him and he answers us in his faithfulness, we will worship him. So that's the goal, so that our worship for him will be even deepened, even, even more than what it is today. So each week we'll look at the ways that we pray. Like a couple of weeks, two weeks ago we looked at prayers of pursuit. We want to be a people who pursue God, who seek after God as men and women after his heart. 
We're going to look at prayers of perseverance, passionate prayers. And today, we'll look at how we can be a church that prays for others. Not just ourselves, but we're a church that's characterized by praying for others and growing in that discipline. But to get us there, we're going to look at two things. Answering the question of who, or that's whom do we pray for, and why. Why should we pray for them? So let's look at the first, who. Let's read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6 again, and then we're also going to jump right into the passage underneath that. That's James 5, 13 through 16. It's on the back of your bulletin. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. This is the passage from James. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So in the first passage we read, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy... And Timothy was like a co-laborer, you could even say an apprentice of the Apostle Paul. He was also a leader, uh, he was one of the leaders of the churches in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. And so Paul here, in his instructions to Timothy, wants Timothy to be able to train the church in such a way so that they would be a praying people, a praying community. In his letter, James also wants the early Christians to be a praying people. But if you take these things together, if you were to make it a list of the people that they've written out, who should we pray for? All people, right? Like, that's the first thing that you get in Timothy. It's like, you should pray for everyone, all people, kings and those in authority. And then to drive the point home, he says that God wants all to be saved, that Jesus has given himself as a ransom for all people. We should not exclude anyone. What does James tell us? Is anyone in trouble? Is there anyone who is wounded, who is weary? Who's sick among you? Who's wandering among you that needs to confess their sins and pray that God would heal them? Pray for everyone, all people, kings, those in authority, the troubled, the sick, and the wandering. We must pray for all people. Now, let me just stop here for a second. This does not mean that we have to be like my Amaji and pray for everyone that we've ever met. Because all people means like, well, what does that mean? I have to think about everyone that I've ever met in life, anyone that I could think of. That's, that's who God wants me to pray for. Well, like, first, let's just acknowledge It means that we shouldn't exclude anyone based on any kind of bias, grievance that we have against them, or any kind of wound or hurt that we have. We should be willing to pray for all kinds of people and all kinds of relationships. When Paul mentions kings and those in authority, this likely would have meant the people in positions of authority that would persecute Christians in that time. If he wrote this while Nero was the emperor, it meant praying for the person who would ultimately have him executed. Think about that. If there was anyone that you could exclude from prayer and be justified, it would be the powerful people who want to kill you, who hate you, 
who want to harm you. But we're told again and again by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul here that we ought to pray, pray for them. There should be nobody that we should exclude or be unwilling to pray for. I remember what it was like in 2016, November of 2016. Donald Trump had just been elected president. And it was our first Sunday after the election. And there were people in the church that were happy that day. They probably were a little bit more, like they probably kept it to themselves a little bit, right? But there were people who were happy that day because they supported him. Or even if they didn't like him, they voted for him. And then there were people who cried, who broke down and cried. And I don't think I preached that Sunday, but I led what we call the prayers of the people. So after every sermon, we'd have somebody come up and lead the community in a prayer. Usually there would be like two prayer prompts based on the sermon. And that particular Sunday morning, I remember praying for the unity of our church and our city and praying for him, praying for Donald Trump. And that was difficult for some people because he represented everything that they loathed about about politicians and about, especially if you've, if you've been a vic victim of abuse and assault and other things, that, that a person like that would be elected. They were genuinely troubled by this call to pray for him as a leader. And I know people who struggle to pray for Joe Biden for similar reasons or whatever their reasons may be. Maybe they don't, maybe they don't just don't agree with his policies or whatever it might be. They just struggle to pray for politicians that they disagree with. Praying for these leaders would affect our peace and our witness as well. He said, pray for all people so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and live in the way of godliness. And then it says, and holiness. But that really could be translated respectability. Now, here's the reason why I say this. Paul is saying, calling them to pray for kings and people in positions of authority that hate Jesus, right? Nero wanted to be prayed to. Like, he was known as the Savior. He was known as, as uh, the Lord. Curios, the word for Lord, would, was not something that's exclusive for Christianity. Emperors and, and, and kings were known as Lord. To pray to, they, they expected us, the, the people or the citizens of that time, to, to pray to Nero as Lord. And so when Paul is calling us or calling the church to pray for Nero, he's doing it so that he would be able to govern well so that they could live peaceful lives and also, what's he looking at here? If Again, if it's respectability that he's looking at, that they would be dignified, that they have a good reputation. In other words, what I'm trying to say is there's something more important to Paul. Yes, it's the peace that the people would have, that they could live peaceful and quiet lives, but it's also witness, right? Like that you would pray for these leaders so that the witness of Jesus Christ could, could expand. And I think sometimes we get so tied to our political affiliations and our political party that we think that we, are more, we have more allegiance to them than the Christian witness. That yes, I might disagree with this person. Or yes, this person might represent everything that I despise in this world or I think is harmful for society. But more important to that is the name of Jesus and my witness to him that he is the king. And I want to live in a way that represents him. His mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion. We pray for all people. If Paul could encourage prayer for the person that would ultimately put him to death and Jesus could be on the cross praying for the forgiveness of those who nailed him to the cross, couldn't we pray for people in positions of authority over our lives? Whom do we pray for? All people. James mentions the troubled, it's the wounded, the weary, those who are just are burdened. Right? They can't carry the burdens of the day. Do you know anyone like that? Pray for them. 
He mentions the sick, those who are not well, mentally, physically, emotionally. Do you know anyone like that? We're to pray for them. He mentions the wandering. I mean, it's not explicit, but he talks about people who've, who've gone astray to bring them back, to pray for them, and that maybe that they'll be healed. Maybe they're sick because they've wandered away, but the church is called to pray for them, not just the elders, but the entire church, to confess to one another and pray for each other so that they might be healed. Do you know anyone who's wandered from home who needs to be brought back and be healed? We pray for them. In the passage that's also on your bulletin, it's the last one there. In Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, this is what Paul says. He says, pray on all occasions, right, with all kinds of prayers for all God's people. Look what he also says there. He essentially says, pray for me to have the words to speak. He's writing this from prison, right? Like, if there's anybody who wouldn't have the opportunity, like, to go out and share the gospel, you would think it's Paul when he's in chains. But even in this moment, he's asking to have, he's asking that he would have the words to be able to share the gospel to the people around him. So that means what? The troubled, the wounded, the weak, the wandering, kings, people in positions of authority, missionaries, people who are on the front lines, people like you. We need to share the gospel with those who, are, who, who don't know Christ. But this brings us back to the initial question. Well, then what does this mean, Jason? Like, how is this practical? Like, I could go to, like, I could, I could find every person, every uh, congressman and congresswoman, and I, I could pray for every person in a position of authority. Are you telling me that, like, there are no lines there? Like, can you give me some boundaries? Like, you might be asking that. Well, this is not in the text. Once we acknowledge that there's no one that we should exclude, here's two, two categories to think about, right? responsibility from God and burden from God. Like, responsibility from God is like, who are you responsible to pray for? Like, who has God given you in your life? Like, we all want to make a global impact. We want the entire world to be changed, right, and, and experience God's goodness, right? But one of the ways that we make a global impact is by local people loving local people, right? Like, a local community of Jesus followers loving a local community. That's why we, we plant churches, because that's the way we believe that we make a global impact. So what that means is, in your life, there are people local to you. There are people within your sphere of influence. There are people that God has given you that you are responsible to pray for, because nobody else will. Like, nobody's going to pray for my wife and kids the way that I will pray for them. Maybe their grandparents, all right? <laughs> like maybe my Amitri, if she was still alive. But other than that, nobody is going to pray for them the way that I will. And that's also, they're not, no one's going to pray for me the way that they will either. Like nobody even knows how to pray for my kids the way that I pray for my kids. Because I'm in contact with their insecurities and wounds and temperament and tendencies like nobody else says. You wouldn't know how to pray for them unless I specifically tell you. So who's responsible to pray for them every day? Me. God has given me that responsibility to pray for them. Nobody else is going to do it. This means that there are people that God has given you, and I'm not going to pray for them because I don't know them. Nobody else is going to. You must pray for them. In some sense, God has made you responsible to pray for family. Who are those people? Roommates. Who else is going to pray for them? Friends. Don't assume that anybody else will. Coworkers, especially if your coworkers don't know Jesus, you might not, they might not have another Christian in their life. So who's going to pray for her? Who's going to pray for him? Neighbors. 
If you're in a discipleship group and you're confessing sin and you're sharing your struggles, you do that for a reason. There's probably, there probably aren't a lot of other people who are privy to that kind of knowledge that you share in a discipleship group. Sins you're confessing, insecurities that you have, wounds in your life. So who's going to pray for those people if you don't? And yes, this church. Is anybody going to pray for New Hope Church like you? Like if you don't do it consistently, regularly, if it isn't a part of your life to pray for this community, if you don't, family, who is going to do it? Like we can't just depend on a church in Syracuse to do that. That's got to be our family. we got to see that God has given us this responsibility to pray for the people in this community. Responsibility from God, also burden from God. Like there are some people that maybe they're not regularly in your life. You don't walk alongside them every single day, but you just have a burden. Like you meet them once and there's something in your heart that's like, man, I just, I want to pray for that person. And you put their name on a list somewhere. And even though you might not see them for a year or two years, there's just something about that person that that person's on your heart. You just have a burden, a special burden in your heart to pray. God has called you that. You sense it and you regularly and consistently pray for them. So who are you responsible for? Who is God giving you a burden for? Or who are you tempted to exclude Is there anyone troubled or wounded or weary or sick or wandering that you know that you're called to pray for them? Who in this church, specific names and faces, not just New Hope Church broadly speaking, but are there specific names and faces of people that you could think of that you will regularly and consistently pray for in this church? Is there a missionary you know like Paul who needs words that God is calling you to pray for that person? Here's what we're going to do right now. I'm just going to pause for a second and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And if you want to write down their names, you can. If you want to make a note of their face, you can. But who is he asking and calling you to pray for? Second thing, why do we pray for them? There are really two reasons, and we see it in the passages that we've read. We pray for others so that they could experience Jesus' ministry and his sacrificial love. One of the, like when I think about praying for our service this morning, I don't just pray for good songs or for me to remember what the sermon's about. I pray for people to experience the ministry of Jesus because I believe he's alive. Just because I can't see him doesn't mean he's not alive. I believe he's alive, and I believe he ministers to us through the power of his Holy Spirit. So when, we, when I pray for you or when we, I pray for the community, I'm praying that people would experience the ministry of Jesus. Notice what he says here in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make an impact. It'll make a difference. The sick person will be well. The Lord will raise that person up. If they've sinned, that these are the wandering, right? They'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, not just the elders, but pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It makes a difference. Jesus ministers to us, to people, as we pray for them. So if someone is sick, we pray. If someone is troubled, we pray. And the prayer 
that's offered will make them well. Prayer makes a difference. It's powerful. It's effective. Because Jesus is alive. And when we pray, we pray that they would experience his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. To heal those who are hurting. To heal the, the sick. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. To heal the wandering and to bring them back home. To do what only Jesus can do. Like, that's why we pray, because we realize that there are some things that are beyond our control. And even if it, if it is something that we can control to some degree, like even if we are, let's say they're wandering and we, we are persuasive and we do some kind of act of love, we pray because we realize that there are limits to those things, that only he has access to their hearts. He holds it like the rivers and he sways it whichever way he wants it to go. When you realize you don't have ultimate access to their heart, but only Jesus does, you become slower to speak and quicker to pray. In conflict, right? In the midst of an argument, when there's a challenge and it just seems like there's a lot of stubbornness or whatever it might be, when there's, whether it's physical sickness, when you realize your limits, you become slower to speak and you become quicker to pray. So here we're, we're forced to confront one of the reasons we don't pray for others because we wonder, does it make a difference? We don't pray because we wonder, does Jesus actually minister to them when I pray for them? In his book, A Praying Church, Paul Miller talks about the unseen connection of prayer. Like, there's a prayer that's offered to God, and there's a response sometime in the future, and what's often hidden to the person who prays and the person who receives that, even years later, is the unseen connection, the line that only heaven can see. A prayer is offered up, and it comes down, and nobody knows what that connection is but God. So I'll just give you like two examples. I, I offer two just in case one of them is silly and you're like, whatever, and, you know, it doesn't really land. So I offer two, all right? So let's say one of the basketballs laying around here, like, like that soccer ball, if you could see it over there. Like let's say if I had the, I had the ability to throw it, like if, if that ball represented a prayer for the next church that might gather in this school sometime in the future, okay? Let's say 15 years from now, there's going to be another church that gathers here and we just offer up a prayer to God, and we just pray, Lord, we offer this prayer up, we throw it in the air, and we say, let the next church that gathers here experience your goodness and power, and then we move on, weeks pass, months pass, years pass, and there's a whole new community that gathers here, and that ball comes down in the middle of this gym, they have no idea where it came from, we probably forgot when we threw it up there, but they've experienced whatever it is that was offered up, there's an unseen connection there. All right, hopefully this one will be better, okay? <laughs> Think about the last time it rained, this morning, right? Didn't it rain this morning? Yeah. Did you ever stop to consider where the rain came from? Like, I don't mean, like, childhood, like, drawings of the water cycle, like, evaporation, condensation, precipitation. Like, I don't, well, maybe to some degree, as the rain was falling upon you, did you ever, like, stop to consider, like, hmm, I wonder what body of water that came from, like, where, where that came from? In some sense, what do we do? We, we experience the goodness of the rain without thinking about its source. We experience the goodness of the rain that falls from heaven and don't realize that we're experiencing the results of actually what has come up from the earth. Similarly, the good things that come down from heaven, from God, which come from the Lord, may be the results of prayers offered by someone you don't know that was offered up from the earth. And we, we get jaded about prayer. We don't think it makes a difference because we don't see the connection that's made. But that's why we pray. We pray because we believe there's an unseen connection between what we pray now and what people experience in the future. So if people who are troubled now are comfort later, comforted later, or if they're sick now and healed later, or given the strength to endure, 
if they wander now and find their way home later, or if missionaries end up having the words to speak, or if kings and people in authority end up repenting or somehow govern well, they don't know the connection, and maybe we don't know the connection, but they would be experiencing the ministry of Jesus in response to our prayers. So we pray. So have you, have you stopped praying for people because you don't think it made a difference? Because the connection was invisible to you and therefore you assumed it was ineffective. Do you believe that they, the people that you thought of a few moments ago, can experience the ministry of Jesus through your prayers? The immigrant church that I grew up, man, no, nobody could pray like that. <laughs> I mean, we had weekly prayer, like a Wednesday night prayer. And there was, yeah, sure, there was a lot of legalism around that. I remember when the Bulls were playing the Utah Jazz in, like, the 98 finals. Like, I was like, oh, it's on a Wednesday night. If I don't go, the Bulls will lose, right? And so it's the way that I, this was before I was a Christian and all that. I just, I had to go, like, I wanted, we, there was a lot of pressure to go to these things, right? But nobody could pray like them. There was a real sense of neediness among them. We had all-night prayer. Uh, watch night services, they'd have Terry meetings, like they'd go to church on Sunday and then gather together in the, in the building and they'd put a, a sheet on the, on the stage and, and everyone would sit, uh, like, sit down on the, uh, on the stage and pray together, right? They had like a prayer book, We'd, they'd have fasting and prayer. Sometimes like every, I think like every couple weeks they would have a, a week-long fasting prayer. It's like, it's like, gosh, it's like out of control, <laughs> like, you know, how much they would pray. But here's the thing, I... The, among the second generation like me, second generation Indian American like me, most of the people in that church are gone. Most of us are gone. Like we, we either like graduated college or whatever it was and we moved away and we settled down somewhere else and most people are gone. I remember talking to another Indian friend of mine who's a pastor and I thought about that and the cynic in me asked this, this friend of mine, I wonder if the pastor of that church became jaded. Like what was the point, God? Like, why do we fast and pray for these, this, like, the people who are in our church if all of them were going to go anyway, right? Or why were we asking God to do so many great and mighty things among us and there's really no, at least as it exists today, no visible impact in that community, in that local place? Like, I would be cynical. Like, what was the point of it? Does prayer even make a difference? And then I had to take a step back and I, I had to realize that my life was changed at one of those fasting and prayer meetings, sitting on a sheet with seven people at my pastor's home. And I hadn't, I hadn't connected it back to maybe a prayer that they had prayed. This church that was planted in 2020, what if it was an answer to one of their prayers that the gospel would spread through their immigrant church to other parts of the world? How do I know? I don't, I don't know. But how do I know that there isn't an unseen, invisible connection between their, their toil and labor in prayer that God would do something in their generation through that immigrant church and we're not experiencing the fruits of that? That it hasn't come down here. We're unaware of it and so are they. That the ministry of Jesus, which falls like rain upon us as a result of prayers offered up years ago. It's not the only reason we pray. It's not just to experience the ministry of Jesus, but it's a sacrificial love of Jesus. And some of you need to hear this, right? Like, because, well, let's go ahead and read it real quick. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy um, 2, verse 3, it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 
he's basically telling us, pray for all people because God is compassionate. God cares, right? He's given, Jesus has given himself as a ransom for all. And what I was going to say is that for some of us, the stumbling block is, does it make a difference? Do we actually experience Jesus' ministry when we pray, right? That's the first stumbling block. We doubt whether or not we'll experience his ministry. For others, it's, we doubt his compassion. Does he even care? Like, I think about when I pray for others, if I'm not careful, I'll assume a posture of like, okay, I'm praying now to get a disinterested God to care. Like, my prayer now is to, to pray in such a way so that I could move God to action because God is really apathetic about this person. He doesn't love this person. I love this person more than he does. And now I'm praying so that he could finally care for this person. It's not what Paul says here. He says, pray for all people. Because there is one God who wants all to be saved and one mediator, Jesus Christ, who has given himself, he has given away his body and his life for those people that you would pray for. How would that shape the way that you pray for the people that you thought about? That as you start praying, you don't have to convince Jesus to care. He's given his life for them. The fact that you are praying now is because he finally got you to care. He's gotten me to care. He's invited us into his heart and the way he sees things and the way he sees people. What if it's not about us persuading him, but about him leading us into his heart to make us more like him? If you think about the people in your life, you see their needs, they're troubled, they're wandering, they're wounded, they're sick. What if you could, before you begin to pray, you, begin, you, you just had that phrase in your mind, that he has given his life as a ransom for them. Therefore, pray. How would that fuel your confidence to pray? How would you pray if you knew that he's compassionate? So I'm going to ask you again as we close. Who is he calling you to pray for? What ministry of Jesus do you hope they'll experience in their lives? Because we pray all kinds of prayer for all people on all occasions that somehow through our prayers, they would experience the ministry and sacrificial love of Jesus.